Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy to use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. Modern life is such that it is hard to see beyond the present. You think you know somewhere, but really you only know a layer, a moment. Most people don't notice such things, but just look around you. So writes Rob Cowan in Common Ground, his book about spending a year discovering and exploring a square mile of wood, meadow, hedge and river on the edge of Harrogate where he lives. I met Rob at his home. But before we even sat down, he took me off to his allotment to pick up some ingredients for lunch. And after that, he took me on a walk down to the River Nid through the landscape of his book. We sheltered from occasional downpours of heavy rain under a big clump of beech trees. And we talked about whether there is any wilderness left these days, about the importance of these urban edgelands that we were amongst. And what drew Rob back home to Yorkshire after living down south in London for years? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, Rob, thank you for taking me to your allotment. That's a pleasure. Teaching me that chard is not just disgusting. No, I'm, I really hope you've turned a corner on that. Yeah. Do you uh, think you have? Well, yeah. Is, yes, if someone's cooking it for me. It was very nice. I mean, although, in fairness... Should or, you tell your listeners what was done to the chard or not? <laughs> Go on, then. Right, so I sort of agree that chard isn't very nice boiled. And in fact, it's horrible. But if you cook garlic in a pan with oil, it would back to the pan, and then add anchovies until they disintegrate, and then add the chard that's been chopped up, then pour in double cream, salt, and pepper, and let that cook right down, and serve that on toast. It's amazing. You could argue that anything with a load of... Double cream is going to taste nice. Snails, for instance. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's essentially the essence of snails, isn't it? Is it's just yeah. nice sauce. Essence of snails is the uh, l'essence the after, <laughs> the aftershave that never sold. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm down with Rob sitting in. Was it, is it fair to say one of your favourite places? Or uh, yeah, a place that's special that. to you. Both of those. Uh, where are we? We right now are on a little stretch of the Nid River just a couple of miles outside of Harrogate in North Yorkshire. And this is an area that's special to me because it's the area of Edgeland, of that strange 
piece of land, if you like, that strange territory that exists between the urban and the rural, um, that I wrote my book Common Ground about. And this was a place I spent an inordinate amount of time, day and night, seasons. So it is very special to me, yeah. Um, and is, it, is this wilderness? What, what is wilderness or wildness in your, in your book? Does this count? I mean, I think it's hard to, to get a definitive idea about what wilderness is in this world because there are so few areas of any true wilderness left. I suppose what is interesting to me about this place is that it has a wildness to it in that it was a place that had this intensely long and rich history um, dating all the way back to the... It was cut the gorge here, the river gorge here was cut by um, retreating glacial meltwaters at the end of the last ice age, 11,000 years ago. And ever since then, it's had Mesolithic hunter-gatherers moving through it. We were talking before about um, it had, it was part of the royal hunting forest of Knaresborough. In fact, the river in front of us here was the northern limit of that. So exactly where we are now would have had Norman and Plantagenet kings hunting here. It was in a very important wood that was almost destroyed during the Civil War, but then regrew. Um, so, and then, you know, over there is the old railway that ran through this patch of land. So it's got a deep history, and I think what's interesting about it is for a long time between the decommissioning of the railways and the time I found it here, it was given over to wildness, i.e. it wasn't looked after. It was, it was kind of, in fact, it was abused. What's amazing is that when they started clearing this river out in the 80s and the 90s for the first time, they found seven submerged cars in here, <laughs> completely submerged, and they had to get the Harrogate Diving Club if you can believe that there is one, <laughs> yeah. to come and drag them out. And they had got the Army Foundation College to come down and drag them all out of the river. But really, it was left. And as a result, you have this density and this rich ecosystem of, of plant life, flora and fauna. So when you're down here, you can see everything. I mean, there's over there is a giant American skunk cabbage, which you can go and look at, which is an invasive species. You've got Himalayan balsam, but you've also got these classic wildflowers of Britain, um, you've got woodpeckers over there, you've got roe deer, you've got otters in the river, you've got trout, you know, it's it's such an intensely rich patch of ground on the edge of one of the busiest northern towns, and I think that has wildness, myself. But none of, you're saying this was abused, so essentially when you were born, and I was born, up for the decades until then, places like this were just ignored, abandoned, trashed, mm. used, yeah. abused. No one cared at all. And it's amazing in a relatively quick time, the renaissance in mm. wildness, isn't it? It's reassuring. It's, you know, if you remember, I remember it. Well, you're from Yorkshire. In the, in the 80s, there was a time when me and my mates played in these places, and everybody played in these places anyway. But then there sort of came this period, which I've written about in Common Ground, which is... Interesting to me because it's when TV really and videos started really kicking in. Everybody had them in their room. And I remember the first time I ever watched um, Star Wars on a, on a video cassette in somebody's room thinking, my God, you know, it, the whole world was out there. But um, what was interesting is that these places began to be viewed with suspicion because they were the places that people, you know, 
went and drank beer illicitly or, you know, had sex or, you know, took drugs or... Submerged cars. Submerged cars. Well, they were all burnt out and pushed in. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, no, it was one of those places and it began to be viewed as suspicion, which was very strange. But then as, as, a, as a dangerous space, I guess. And parents, I think what happened is that subsequent generations, parents didn't want to... Why would you expose your children to these kind of risks when you didn't have to, you know? I mean, there was no question of it when I was little. But now, you know, if some if it's some kids who are six or seven years old or eight years old said, I want to go down there on my own, you know, there's, I can understand being a parent myself that there'd be resistance to it. But I think, yeah, that's when these became demonized. They fell out of our vision. And there were national parks and there were places of beauty. There were sort of, you know, the vision of the wild in Britain was the Lakeland Fell or the Yorkshire Coast or the South Downs. It wasn't these patches. Yet conversely, these are the closest green spaces to most people in Britain today. These, these are the places where it is possible to have wildness plus the realities of a nine-to-five job. Correct. And accessibility is everything with these places. Like I can finish, you know, writing for a day and run here in 15 minutes and, and run right down where we're going to go in a bit and sit on a log there and just, it can be like we're in Canada, you know, that's, that's what it feels like. So, I mean, that, I think we talked about it before a little bit, having that accessibility, being able to see some place through seasons through weathers, I mean, we're sitting here in the rain now, but being seeing places through the weathers, that's exciting. That's that's when you really link back in, I think, to to these places. So, do do you um, presumably in your course of writing, you've been here in all kinds of weather, yes. all seasons. What's yes. your what's your favourite season and favourite weather to be down in this gorge? Oh, I like high summer. Uh, high summer is beautiful here for various reasons. Hi there. Yeah, there you go. After a few trout. Um, but yeah, so high summer's great here. It's it's just the dappled light that comes through the trees is, is stunning and the river reflects. The nid actually means shining in Celtic. and It's very you know, dark, isn't it? Yeah, you get the right light here and it just reflects completely. But I also love winter here and... You come down here in winter and the trees are stripped back and you get this ghostly mist that just hangs through the gorge. It's beautiful time to be here. But honestly, I mean, you know, autumn is outrageous, as you can imagine. There's all these different types of trees that we have here now. Um, it's nice to go to the same place in all different seasons yeah. and different days of times of day, isn't it? I think it helps metronome the time passing, you know, and I think that's something that modern living can mediate against is is the the awareness of change and time passing i was talking to a guy in sheffield a few days ago who was who'd been um part of the campaign against them just chopping down all of their trees which mm. they currently seem to be enjoying doing then and he was saying that in the the poorer parts of town the tree at the end of the street is often people's only connection with mm. nature and beyond the the health benefits of absorbing particulates mm. and things one of the things he was talking about was this is the only way you can uh, innately know what season it is mm. because mm. we we continually live inside. So having a tree at the end of your street, mm. I felt important. that. I lived in London for ten years, and having moved down there from Yorkshire, 
living in the in the kind of wilder stretches of Yorkshire moors and everything. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you could feel that very much when you moved down there. And trees were a really important way of yeah of metronoming uh, those seasons changing. I think um, it's it's we, you know only now are we fully investigating how beneficial that can be. I think to us as humans, um, but it's light as well. I think lights lights interesting the way that it, the places like this. You know, if you come out here at four thirty on a on a on a winter afternoon, it's dark. You know, and you 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 feel that sort of imperative to go and nest up and get into bed. You know, come here on a high summer day. It's you know ten o'clock at night. It's still bright and sunny here. You can still swim in the river. You know, and there's that sort of sense of I think it that that that's certainly my moods are suddenly governed governed by that kind of thing. Yeah, um, to a degree. Too. I think um, one of the big differences between being in a city is in a city you have t- t- 24-hour controlled light temperature. It's all mm-hmm. regulated. What, what um, You lived in London for quite a while, and now you've come back up to home to Yorkshire. What have you noticed in the different attitudes towards wildness in London compared to up in Yorkshire? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose this bit of Yorkshire... The proximity of wildness, if you want to call it that, there's a very big dog just jumped in the river. The proximity of that is is something that people don't take for granted, um, but they're grateful for it. They know it's there, and they it's something people talk about. If you ask what you know, why do you live here? What do you like about living here? Often, here you're if you can imagine that this patch of of, of England is like the rib cage of a body you know one side of it is the yorkshire dales the other side is the north york moors and you've got this central area where we live and i think people really appreciate that you can get to the coast the yorkshire coast the jurassic coast is fantastic up Stades and robin hood's bay whitby um you can get up into the north york moors which is very dramatic in one sense and then the dales is much more it's a very different landscape so i think it's much more hardwired into you here that but those are places to go to. It, it's definitely all around everywhere. But do you know the people that you say the people on your streets? Um, mm. do, do people come here? Do people use this space? What's interesting about this place, I think, is that it was off the radar. Totally until your off book. The radar. Well, until now, the book, there's, yeah, there's the now. t-shirt shop over there. Oh yeah, and the burger van. Yeah, exactly. The Rob Cowan shrine that we're sitting in right now, put up by you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Thanks for your help on. with that. Carry uh, on. That's great. Um, so yeah, you say it used to be quiet. It you? was quiet here. And when I when I first moved to the street we live on, I asked people about where to go and w- w- where the nearest open space was. And everybody said Valley Gardens in the town, which is the ornate Edwardian gardens in the centre of Harrogate. No one really... It, it, well, no one, certainly no one pointed me this way. And when I came down here, there wasn't anyone here. Um, but that, that that astounded me because... I think this is was certainly, you know, n- n- in a natural history sense, one of the most important areas in this county. But equally, historically, it is. Um, but it, so, is is it getting busier now? Yeah, I think and, and it's why? changing. It's changing. Well, one big reason is because there was the threat of it being developed. They're building a relief road. There was this talk of building a relief road, which now hopefully will be thrown out. Um, 
you know, you never miss it till it's gone, do you? And the threat of something be like this being destroyed and being taken away made people sit up and realize that the community has really come together over it. And um, people have been very vocal and very, you know, you see people, I think they do have this innate connection to places like this and they might not come down all the time. But just to walk their dog in a place like this or to, um, you know, to come down here with their kids and push the bike along the uh, the old railway, you know, it, it, the idea that that would be taken away as a proximity thing is very scary and people react very strongly against it. It's almost a kind of, you know, it's 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 as people react as strongly as if their house is being taken away. Wow. Uh, and that's the way that people have felt about this. That's why the reaction has been huge. Community groups, rallies, mass walks, you know, protests. It's been massive, um, which is really positive, I think. Yeah. So um, when you're, say, up in your house in the town, yeah, and then you think you're going to come down here, do you, do you have the sense of, I'm going to go out and then I'll be in nature? Oh, yeah. Or, or, or do you have a feeling that wherever you are you're in nature so on your streets in the allotment or does this feel oh well i do feel that i mean i do feel that um you know if there's some maiden hair fern growing out of a wall i feel like that's nature you know um i feel like the the, the town is often like a curtain and occasionally there are threadbare bits where nature pokes through whether that's a sow thistle coming up through the pavement or a dandelion or some blue alkanet flowering or Budlier bursting out of a train track or whatever. I love those bursts of condensed wildness, if you want to call it that. Those condensed, you know, evidence of of the bigger, greater, non-living world that we exist with. I love that. That those things thrill me beyond compare. Same in the allotment, but more more here. It's that if I need the sort of massive transformation, transformative shift in the senses, this is the equivalent of like diving into a swimming pool you know rather than just kind of looking through a window it's it's just so complete and i think you know and I, what i would say is that it's never the same i always go down i think well maybe i'll see this and maybe i'll see that and i never see what i'm expecting to see i always see something else and that's uh the beauty of it too and and the changing nature of it i think i love that i love um one my one of my favorite things is being under a tree canopy when it's pouring with rain it's rattling down it's weird. amazing and the you know it's i, I don't know you 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 inf places take on a greater meaning because you go to them i mean i've laid under this bit here with my children looking up at this canopy in very hot weather and the sun being you know diffused by the moving canopy in a breeze and thinking you know lying here feeling the earth turn and just thinking this is as good as it gets you know and now as a result whenever i'm here part of me is remembering that maybe not always consciously but that's how you connect to places and um i think that's the that's the um the benefit of going to the same place repeatedly versus that's right continually moving on to new places which has different appeals i wrote about that in common ground a lot about place being a repository of memory and it's an aboriginal concept but it's one that i think holds true in any place and any culture where people have a connection to landscape it's it's true i think that's it's always interested me how two people can move through a landscape and for no apparent reason have a similar emotional reaction to that space 
yet they don't know why they have it. You know, I've always been interested in that sort of idea. Um, the aura of place, I think you might call it. Um, it's something I'm looking at a lot at the moment with the road, and the aura, the sense of aura. So I'm just a, a gun going off in the background. Yes, yeah, we were have, have been listening to the nice buzzers. Now a gun just went off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, um, so I'm cycling around Yorkshire for a month, and I knew I'd see some pretty hills and some flat caps and some whippets and some uh, curries and other mm-hmm. stereotypes. But what um, what what I've really really enjoyed were places like the Teesdale Way, mm. uh, heading out of Middlesbrough through all of mm. the old factories and the steelworks, past mm. the pipelines, and it smells like a chemistry lab and looks like the Soviet Union. Um, and then I really loved the the cycle path along the River Don mm. by Doncaster when you mm. go under the A1 yeah. uh, motorway. Yeah. Um, so I know that bit. Okay. Yeah. So what what what's your approach and your thinking of these these in between spaces, the ed- the edgelands you call them <coughs> in your writing? I mean, they're fascinating, aren't they? Because they are, for the very reasons you've just described, they're sort of microcosms of the world at large, and that they are this constant collision and colluding between past, present, you know, um, nature, town, nature, people, you know, um, you get all these collisions where you have, you know, as you say, post-industrial factories and collapsing and being overtaken by, uh, greenery. It's very Richard Jeffries after London, you know? Um, but I think there's, there's something in that. I find that both frightening in a sense and thrilling, but also consoling. And um, here in this Edgeland, you can see the, the, the how nature has recolonized everything and recolonized the old railway sidings we were looking at before. Um, I think that's what makes them so fascinating is that they seem to have an aura and a presence about them because they have this human layer as well. They're not just a pristine landscape. They've been lived in, they've been worked They've, they've told a story. They're like kind of the old guy in the pub, you know, covered in tattoos, drinking a beer in the corner, you know. he's He's got stories he's got to tell. Got some stories. Yeah, I always think that. And I think, you know, they're, they're, they're overlooked in, that, in, in, a, in, a, in a natural sense, but they're overlooked in a historical sense too because there's so much social history that went on. You know, you're talking about coming out of... I mean, Doncaster, you know... It's amazing to think of that place as what it was, and now it's kind of like dirty old Donny or whatever, and you know. But it's it was a boom town. It was a Roman town. It was a boom town for mining and industry. Had a race course, still has a race course, but it was this kind of prestigious place of money and wealth. And and you get that intersection when you go into those areas of the past and the present. And they're, they're the kind of places that intrigue me. Those liminal edges that that you can really see that. They have a threshold feel to them that, you know, tidied up, re-smartened, overbuilt sort of town centers lose um, or can lose. But those places, because they're they're marginalized and they're forgotten about, um, they retain them and it's much closer to the surface. I once went um, and did a talk in Singapore about Edgelands and Singapore is about the <laughs> furthest place you can imagine has an edgeland. Yes. I mean, it's completely built up. But I gave this talk and, a, and, a, and a, a doctor at the university there called Sean came and found me afterwards and said, I want to show you our edgeland. And 
he took me the day after down to the old railway that ran from Malaysia down through Singapore, which is now completely overgrown. But we had to scramble down through this sort of section of um, the CBD or whatever it was. And it was very odd. It was this descent down with the tower blocks towering over us, but we had to climb over these fences and then scramble down and we hit this railway. And it was like a subterranean corridor of complete wildness. Um, it was jungle. So there were monkeys down there. There were all these old, um, well, basically allotment trees, if you like, fruit trees, that were rubber trees that had come back up and, and reflowered. And so it's thick with this this kind of strange... And we kept walking and walking and crossing over these old bridges. Um, and I thought, how long can this go on for? But it yeah. just kept going and going and going, threading up through Singapore. And then we hit this old station, which again, it was completely overgrown. And we went inside this old station. It was all the roof had come down. And on the wall, I remember on the wall was this fire extinguisher from Horsham in West Sussex. Wow. <laughs> you just said, you know, perfect, you know, 1930s or 40s fire extinguisher that was just completely, no one had taken it down with all the writing on there. But that's what I mean, that these kind of, these encounters that occur in these places, not just with the natural world, but with the past, with these layers, they're all layer, multi-layered spaces. Um, and that's always interests me. Yeah. I love, I love pristine wild places. Of course I do, but there are zero of those in Yorkshire. I mean, the Yorkshire Dales is a fully man-made landscape. Yeah. Pretty, I imagine pretty much everywhere is yeah. to, to by and large. And therefore yeah. in my mind, the, the beauty I found of those around the South Yorkshire towns, mm. um, I really felt like I was exploring places I've never been before. Um, and they felt like the most adventurous part of this journey. I was fully expecting the sweating up big climbs and stuff, mm. but that has felt to me like really sparked my curiosity. Did you go to the um, old ski slope in Sheffield? No, Try I didn't. Ski slope. Should I have done? Yeah, oh, it's crazy. I need a second lap of Yorkshire. <clears throat> it's really strange. I went there with a folk singer called Nancy Kerr and her husband James Fagan who live in Sheffield. Um, and we they took me up there and... The funny thing was, it's it's a you know the sort of dry ski slope, matting, matting stuff. stuff. It's all there, but it's recolonized. So the sort of everything's come through. It's this post-apocalyptic kind of vision. But what's funny about it is, I had this m absolute clear memory of going there as a kid and skiing there, which I'd completely forgotten about until I was back there and I had the same views and everything. It's so strange, wow. so strange. But it, you know, seeing something like that in your own lifetime is. It shows old. you're getting old. Well, that's it. That's o true too. Ozymandias. Yeah. Yeah. Your empire is crumbling all around you. Well, knowing that you are slightly older than me. No, slightly younger than me, aren't you? Well, I'm younger than you. I've got a lot more hair. Whatever. <laughs> I've got hair like Al. It's just not on my head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, next question. Actually, this is the final thing I want to talk about really is another of the reasons that I've come to ride around Yorkshire is... Because I was born here. We were born in the same hospital. We were. A couple of months apart. We're awaiting yeah. the blue plaque. We are. That you and yeah. I are going to put up. Yeah. yeah. So we're born there. Yeah. Um, both grew up in Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. um, both then went off to do different things mm. in life. Um, and I've, you have, you're a returner is the I technical am. term. I am. Did you know that? Is that really? Yeah. Is that what it is? I did a talk recently for the 
does Yorkshire Dales and the lakes have got this thing going on to try and get more young people living there so it's not just old people and second homes trying to get people actually living so and what am i a young you're person a now no but you Hang are on. you're not a young person oh, but you are a returner right okay which so which means that you have been lured back from the bright lights of london yes. to yorkshire so what what is home and uh, why have you come back well what is home wow what is that did you see that uh, Moorhen. Oh, it's, it's a Moorhen, yeah. It's a Moorhen chick, actually. Yes. It's very small. Um, what brought me back? What, why, what is home? Home is a strange one, isn't it? I mean, in the course of writing this, researching this new book, you learn that home is a fluid thing, I think. Um, what I've always felt is a connection to Yorkshire and the moors and the landscape here and the people um and i there was no way i could do what i'm doing now here at that time but also for various reasons that i just needed to get out of here and um get out of london no get, get out of oh, Yorkshire. first time around, first get out time around yeah. you know i went to school in leeds I went to university in Leeds, you know, I went to art college in Dewsbury. I mean, I was really West Yorkshire'd out by the time I was in my um, early 20s. So I wanted to get out. Um, my brother had moved to London, and so it seemed like a good idea. Also, writing just wasn't, it wasn't something you could do up here, be writing and becoming a journalist. It just seemed like London was the place that you could make that happen. And I was playing music at the time and I wanted to go down there and play music and there was a band that I wanted to be in. And so there's a lot of reasons why I moved there. I'm, funnily enough, the only, the places that I lived in, which was Archway, Kentish Town area, and then Highgate later on, um, were all the old manors of my dad when he was younger. He was from Chalk Farm and uh, Camden and Weedington Road in that area. So there was a big sense of weird sense of home that I had then because I remember going down there with him when I was little wandering about those streets and all of his family even though they'd become this kind of diaspora and going all over the place they all remembered growing up in those streets and living in each other's houses so that I always had the sense of home there even though I never lived there and then uh, we were close to the heath and the heath in places reminds me of Oakley Moor you know similar high grasses in summer you know, places to swim. So living close to that, running distance of that, I used to run there every night and that was great. But no, it was more that, you know, I missed Yorkshire. I missed the moors and I missed the places where I grew up. So that was, um, that was like a, some young, uh, some young lads on mountain bikes just going past the muddy kids. That's a good sight, though, isn't That's it? That's really good. Isn't see. that a good sight? Three kids see. mucking about on bikes, yeah, getting muddy. I half wanted them to shout at us or say something rude, you know, yeah, just just for a little bit of spike. This is Harrogate, though. This is Harrogate. They just gave us some caviar. Yeah. Um, no, so that was it. I missed the moors, and I used to have this tangible thing where I would, at a certain point. I'd be getting on the tube and sort of someone's armpit in my face and I'd just be able to smell the smell of Ilkley Moor in summer, high summer, and hear that sort of hum that you got right on the tops there. 
just around August when the bilberries were out and you'd get that feeling and I could almost very tangibly feel it and I would then go ah I need to come back and I'd sort of skive off a day and go home but then you know I just when when it came that we were looking for somewhere to live that wasn't London and we needed a bit more space then there was no question in my mind about coming back really there's something about this place there's something about Yorkshire that it's funny I used to say it to people but it's true People from Yorkshire tend to say they're from Yorkshire before they say they're from England. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. You know, where are you from? Yorkshire. You know, you go see them and meet someone in Spain. Where are you from? Yorkshire. You know, they don't go the UK or England or Britain. They say Yorkshire. Um, it's a funny one. There's a kind of whole identity, I think, here. Maybe it's the Danelaw stuff. It's the old Viking stuff. It's the sort of difference of the North. But um, no, what are you about you? Are you going to return? Oh, well, that is a, that is a can of worms. Um, I think I'm going to be going to be down south for a while, mm. and then I'm going to head for the hills at some point. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I see this as a recce trip. Right. One day. One day. Not sure when, but one day. Good. Yeah, but it's been good. Well, you'll so, be a returner. You'll be welcome. I will be a returner. Um, Rob, thank you very much for cooking me chard. It's a pleasure. And showing me your common ground. Um, it's a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you, Al. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their inspiring collections. Are you exploring a new area and not sure where to begin? Type in where you want to go and local collections will suggest a number of cycling or hiking tours based on the most scenic routes. It's a great way to get started exploring in a new place, particularly if you don't know where to begin. Wherever you find yourself, your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash chi and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.